this part, but we have a guest preacher this morning. His name is John Shields. And uh, John, I'd just like to invite you up here. Uh, John is a good friend. Um, I don't remember exactly the title that you have uh, with the SBC. I'm sure you'll probably, you probably don't either. They change titles quite a bit. But I, 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 I know that most of John's work uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, to help train and um, develop healthy leaders and healthy churches. And that's a big passion that you have. And John's just been a good friend uh, for a number of years and was very instrumental and helpful in getting us into this building. It was one part of that too. And then we just share a lot of uh, uh, similar um, personal journeys as mm-hmm. pastors and, and, uh, and leading our families. And so been thankful for you. Thank you for coming and uh, filling the pulpit this morning and preaching. I want to pray for you. Uh, so Appreciate if you guys it. would bow your heads with me. <laughs> Father, thank you so much uh, for your word and the privilege that we have to gather together uh, in person as your people to hear your word preached and proclaimed and to, um, to have our hearts challenged by what you would say to us. God, I pray for John this morning. Mm-hmm. Ask God that you, would, um, that you would quicken his heart to uh, hear from you as he preaches, that you would speak through him to us. Lord, pray um, that you would uh, even refresh and bless him as he preaches mm-hmm. and that you would give him energy. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. I, I love uh, your pastor um, and his heart. It's been a blessing to uh, get to serve out here with him all these years. It's always a little nostalgic for me to come here in this building. I got to pastor in Lexington about 25 years, and um, Dale Phillips was a guy who encouraged me early on. I don't know if any of you know or remember him, but he had a church that met in this building years and years ago. Um, but anyway, I always uh, feel like I'm going back to, to roots when I come here. Of, this is a place that God has spoken to me and encouraged me a lot over the years. If you've got a Bible, I hope you've got one. I want to invite you to find Matthew chapter 16. Um, we're going to study primarily a paragraph at the end of this chapter. Um, this is a pivot point in Jesus' ministry. He just has called a time out with his disciples. They've sat down, and he leaned in with them and asked a couple questions. He asked, man, what's, what's the talk on the street? What are people saying about me? And they kind of debrief that, and then Jesus leans in, and he looks at them eyeball to eyeball and says, so what do you say? Who do you think I am? He unpacks that, and... It's a crucial turning point because after that moment, he begins talking about the cross, about why he really came. We're not going to look at that paragraph. We're going to look at the next one. But I just want to read it. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read this. And as I read, I want you to imagine what this sounded like the first time his disciples heard it. What that scene was like as they were trying to process the early understandings of what Jesus was really about and what it would mean for them to stick with him after this moment. So it says, from that time on, in verse 21, I should have said that, so you know where to follow. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. 
This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And we'll just stop right there. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it and the truth of it. Lord, I ask that this morning you will help us understand in a deeper way, why you came and what you want, the significance of what you did, and and Lord, help us understand especially what you want of us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, I want you to think back when you first began to hear about Jesus, and all our stories are different for some. Um, We were little, like I I remember being a preschooler and my grandmother was my Sunday school teacher at church. I remember her teaching us Bible stories. Others find Christ later at different parts of their journey in life. But I want you to, to remember when you became aware that you wanted to know more that you wanted to lean in, that that you wanted to take a closer look at Jesus. And what was happening and why that was and what made you want to follow. I'm not looking for the theological answer. I know there's a a right theological answer to that, but I'm looking for your answer at that moment in your journey, what you thought was happening. I want you to think about the Gospels as, as we remember what happened when Jesus was on earth in flesh. Why did people come to him? Why did they gather? And there were a lot of reasons, right? He was a, a cool teacher. You know, they said he taught as one who had authority. He, he was more interesting and fascinating than the Pharisees that they were used to hearing. He did miracles. He healed people. He fed a crowd with a little boy's lunch. People came to him because they wanted to see the show. They came because they wanted to hear this guy who's different. They came because they wanted to see a miracle for themselves. Even the Pharisees who were threatened by him wanted to come and see what was happening. But as the Gospels play out, we know not everyone who came stayed. Some who followed for a little bit And then as the teaching got hard, they checked out. They decided, yeah, I'm not in for this. I don't think I want that. I don't think I want to follow this guy anymore. So there's something that happens in all of us. We lean into Jesus, and then we have to make a decision. At some point, you've got to ask yourself, I'm assuming you're here on a Sunday morning. It's cold outside. It's a good day to stay under the covers, make some hot chocolate. If you're here... I'm assuming you have some interest in leaning in towards Jesus. What made you decide to stay when others didn't? 
Sometimes when we chase a question like this, it can go to another place. As believers, it can be easy in a room like this to think about, well, who's not here? And what's their problem? And why don't they see Jesus the way I see Jesus? So maybe we can even look at other people that gather and we start having debates over what makes a person a real follower of Jesus. Is it the right kind of worship? Is it the right kind of dress? Is it the right kind of disciplines? What is it? And we get lost in the smokescreen. Maybe conflict over things that just makes Jesus sad because it causes us to miss the point. In this passage, it's one of, of several passages where Jesus lays down a clear picture of what it looks like to follow him. It's a question I want you to wrestle with this morning. Not just where you've been, but why you're following still and how you can deepen in that. So here's, here's a question. When Jesus asks us to follow him, what exactly is he asking? What does he mean by that? Not what does your favorite writer mean by that. Not what does a song unpack. Not does, what do you wish he meant by that. But what does he actually mean when he calls us to follow him. This isn't the only passage, but it's a core one. It's a crucial one. I want you to uh, begin to unpack this in your own mind. Hopefully, from this moment on, um, as a result of our time together. So we go back to this first part in verse 21. At the risk of boring you, I'm going to read it again as we go through. And I hope the repetition will, will help unpack this in your mind. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must go. And that going there, he would suffer, and that he would be killed, and on the third day be raised. And they had no clue what he was talking about. But Peter kind of had a clue. Right? You see what happens? Peter, Peter understood it, but he rejected it. Peter pulls Jesus aside. He says, hey, Jesus, that thing you're talking about? No way. No way. That can never happen. In fact, we know from the other Gospels, he says, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus confronts Peter. He rebukes Peter. He calls Peter Satan himself. And why does he do that? He explains here, he says, you are a hindrance to me. Right now, Peter, you're in my way. You're hindering what I want to do. You're hindering what I must do, what I need to do. He says, why? Because your mind is set not on the things of God, but on the things of men. The first thing I want you to see is this, maybe the biggest thing is, if we're going to actually follow Jesus, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to be followers, we have to fully embrace the cross of Jesus. Fully embrace it. Peter struggled to embrace the cross. And if we're honest, so do we. Finally, Peter had found a guy he believes in. A guy with real power, a guy with real truth, a guy that's really authentic, a guy that is in the process of changing Peter's life, and Peter's getting to know him, and once he sees Jesus' real mission, 
he hesitates. In fact, he bows up, he resists. Surely this isn't the plan, Jesus. You have too much power to let anyone kill you. You have too much truth to go away. He stumbles over the cross. There are many today that want a crossless Jesus, aren't there? You don't have to look very far. You can look on the shelves with Christian books and find books describing a a crossless way of following Jesus. Peter loved the benefits of Jesus, just like the rest of the crowd did. Feed me, fascinate me, heal me, lead me. We bring up the cross. Mm. I don't know about that. I hesitate. I stumble. We love John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. But we don't want to we don't want to linger there. He gave his son, and I don't want to think what what does that mean that he gave his son? I like to move on quickly that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I like that part. I want eternal life. I want to believe. I can't believe. But in our Santa Claus world, we watered down believing and we don't stop to think deeply enough about believe what? Believe in who? Believe how? Not believe like it's a nice idea that makes me happy, but believe in I'm going to sell everything and go all in here with Jesus. The cross is an ultimate thing. But Jesus without a cross isn't Jesus. Jesus without a cross can't forgive or heal or save or give eternal life. So when we believe Jesus, when we follow Jesus, we got to follow Jesus going all in on the cross and understanding what that meant. The cross, it's crucial to our life and our faith in Jesus. Do you ever wonder in the New Testament, I mean, maybe you haven't, and that's okay. Why did God leave scars in the resurrected Jesus? Was it just for Thomas? Was it for all of us? Why in Revelation does it say there's one standing like a lamb as if slain? You mean in heaven? You mean in eternity, Jesus looks like the lamb who was slain? Why? Because God never wants us to forget the cross. He wants us always to have the cross and resurrection of Jesus in mind. For us to follow Jesus, us who didn't see his birth, who didn't hear him speak audibly, we don't know what his voice sounded like. We don't really know what he looked like physically. But we can follow that Jesus, and to follow him, we have to have the truth, the reality of his cross and resurrection. At the core of our faith. But he goes on from there. He rebukes Peter, who's stumbling over the cross, and I believe God put that in, in his word, not to shame Peter, but to help us, because we also will stumble over the cross.
So we follow Jesus and we, we love the, the feeling of the burden being lifted, of our sins being forgiven, of, of the security of eternal life. We love that. And then we start to struggle. And we start to stumble and we become like Job's friends. But God, I'm following you. Why aren't things better? I'm following you. Why is this hard? I'm following you. Why did she do that? Why did this happen? Why did he? And we start hesitating and struggling. Because we face something hard. Something not nearly as hard as what Jesus did on the cross, but hard enough that it makes us hesitate. So Jesus goes on, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, here's the hypothetical, if you really want to follow me, here's what it looks like. This is what Jesus says. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is a verse worth memorizing if you've not memorized it. What does Jesus mean when he asks us to follow him? Take up a cross. Not only do we believe in what happened on Jesus' cross, we have to be willing to follow him in the path of cross-bearing. Actually follow him. We have to dethrone ourselves. This deny yourself, we have to dethrone ourselves to make room for Jesus. He repeats this in Luke. He repeats it in Mark. And what God repeats, he's emphasizing. This matters. Following Jesus, I mean, believing is easy, but it's not easy. Because believing takes us on a path that can be hard. Will you follow me through the valley of the shadow of death? that we love in Psalm 23, but we don't love it in our lives. He's not calling us to love it, but he is calling us to embrace it. He's calling us to trust him when those moments come. Our natural desire is to be in charge of ourselves. Our natural desire growing up, you remember you know, the, these moments, it might have been with your parents, it might have been a teacher, it might have been your first boss, you know, where you had this thought, I can't wait till I'm an adult because then I get to be in charge. Has that worked out for anyone? I mean, maybe you get to be in charge of something, but it's never enough, is it? And you find out being in charge is a massive headache, isn't it? Finally, I get to be in charge. We resist and resent anyone or anything that feels like is in charge of us. I knew a guy once, um, he, he worked in a steel fabrication shop. Um, I knew this because as a teenager I got to work there. I got to paint stuff and carry stuff and the highlight was when they taught me how to use one of the machines I could make bolts. which is pretty awesome for a 15-year-old making bolts in a machine shop. I thought that was the coolest job I could have. Anyway, there was a guy there, older guy, smart guy, gifted, he knew how to work, but he was grumpy and resentful every day in that place. 
Why? Because the boss had two sons, and the boss was teaching his sons every aspect of the business, and this grumpy guy would complain, he's just going to give the business to them. I should run this place. I should be in charge. We resent that, right? Someone else is going to be in charge. We want our turn. Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Just accept you're not going to be in charge. To follow me means you give up your dream of being in charge. He's in charge. We have to dethrone ourselves. We have to stiff arm ourselves. We, we have to say no to the person in the mirror so we can say yes to Jesus. In fact, as we follow Jesus, one of the most frustrating conflicts we have is when we're like the rich young ruler. When we know what Jesus is asking and we don't want to. Right? What do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus has this conversation. He's not telling us we're saved by giving away all of our stuff, but he knew what this guy was hanging on to and and he knew for all of us we have to be willing to let go of everything to embrace Jesus. He may let you hold it for him, but he wants your heart to turn loose of us. Surrender is the only way to relieve that conflict. As we follow Jesus, we will always be in conflict with Jesus when we're not willing to surrender to Jesus. That's why he says you've got to deny yourself. If you're really going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Otherwise, you're always going to be hesitating. You're always going to be resisting. It's going to be painful constantly because you're always going to want what you want instead of what I'm asking. How many times have we, ourselves, and I can make it hypothetical and say we've heard someone else, but we do this. We get disappointed and we get hurt because Jesus isn't following our lead. But I prayed. I prayed. And Jesus didn't do what I wanted. I even started my quiet time and did it three days in a row. Jesus didn't give me what I wanted. As if following Jesus is like playing let's make a deal. And in this passage where Peter boldly told Jesus... The cross is out, Jesus. The cross is not in my plan for following you. And Jesus said, Peter, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And then he turned to the rest of the group instead of this, because Peter pulled Jesus aside. He was going to rebuke him privately. You know, he didn't know Matthew 18 was coming, but he was doing Matthew 18 with Jesus. And Jesus turned to the rest of the group and said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you guys got to stiff arm yourself. It can't be what you want. Does this make sense? I don't have to live on this one much longer, do I? But I got to come back to it myself. I got to let my dreams go. I got to say no to me. There was an early guy um, who I connected with when I came in Lexington. He did ministry in the Sand Hills. Um, he taught ranchers to do home Bible study groups. Um, to reach their areas. And I remember him lamenting more than once. He said, John, 
Nobody in seminary who's paying for an education wants to come out here. Nobody wants to come out here. I can't wait for those guys. I got to make disciples here without them and not wait for seminary guys to come. He's lamenting that. And he said, why would that happen? Well, because even sometimes seminary guys, and I am one, I'm a seminary guy, sometimes we don't deny ourselves and follow Jesus. I didn't want to come to Nebraska initially. I grew up in Florida. Out of seminary, I was offered a position at a church in Florida, not far from where I grew up. It seemed like a no-brainer. It's a culture I knew. It's people I knew. We got a letter from the church in Lexington. On the way to the airport, I threw it in the trash because we were going to do a second interview to a church in Florida. I knew that's where we were going. Thankfully, my wife pulls it out of the trash and says, John, remember when we came, we told God we'd be willing to go anywhere, and I didn't see you pray over this very much. Dang, you're right. So I threw it in my backpack, and we went, and God began changing our hearts. See, it's easy to say, God, I'll do whatever you want. But then push comes to shove, and Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be moment after moment after moment after moment where you're going to have to say, it's not what I want, but God, if it's what you want, okay. I can't follow Jesus unless I do what Jesus wants. Jesus is just trying to tell us that. Second thing deny yourself, take up your cross. I think in Luke he says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross. Hmm. To follow Jesus, we have to accept the reality of suffering and sacrifice. We've got to accept that. Luke 14, in fact, catch this verse. It says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We don't want to memorize that one. Cannot is a big word. Paul got it, though, in Philippians 1. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I die following Jesus? Great. There's nothing greater to die for than following Jesus. I could blame God. God, it's your fault. You gave me a nervous system. My nervous system causes me to avoid pain. That keeps me alive. So I don't stick my hand in boiling water and leave it there. Or touch an iron, except one of my kids like touched an iron six times. I do. What? You didn't you learn the last time? He said, Well, you know, sometimes I touch it, it's not hot, so I just try again. <laughs> All right, I give up. You want to touch the iron? Yeah, melt your hand, it's okay. There's other stories with that one, but that's a different different thing. Our instinct is to avoid pain. The the problem is um, when that goes too far. 
and our goal in life becomes avoiding pain, not just, you know, survive. Don't walk barefoot through the sticker patch, you know. There's wisdom there. But like all good things that God gave us, we go too far with them, and so we avoid hard conversations. We avoid um, conviction. When conviction comes, I'm not going to go there anymore because, you know, I don't like how I feel. Well, maybe if I take up my cross and follow Jesus, how I feel will catch up with what I ought to believe. And I'll find a peace that I could never find by simply avoiding pain. If I want to avoid pain, I've got to avoid relationships. I've got to avoid trying. I've got to avoid going anywhere. That's not living anymore either. Cross-bearing, it involves enduring hardship. Enduring hardship. We don't have real hardship, do we? I mean, we do, but we don't. And I could tell you stories. We, we could all tell stories of, you know, it changes. People in Africa, they have hardship. People in China, they have hardship. Well, okay. But I don't think that helps us. We have to have a willingness to do what we don't want to do in order to experience what Jesus wants to give us. I watched football yesterday. Growing up in Florida, I'm still a Seminole fan. Finally, they're getting better. Nebraska's turn will come someday. <laughs> it will. It cycles around, right? Do you think those guys love practice? What if they got a scholarship to practice football and never had games? You're going to have a trainer. You're going to work out. We're going to manage your diet. We're going to practice together. You're going to exhaust yourself, and then you go to class. We'll never play a game. No one will ever watch it. No one will ever know about it. Did you sign up for that? Instead of fancy uniforms, you get a T-shirt, you know, with stickers ironed on it. <laughs> Football team. No, I want to. I want to play the games. I want to have a chance to compete. I want to have a chance to excel. I want to have a chance to become something. And now NILs and NFLs and all the Ls chase them, except losses. We don't want to chase those Ls. Why would you? If athletes will sacrifice, they'll, they'll embrace the suffering of practice to win something that doesn't last, and no one will remember. What year was it the Huskers won the national championship again? Is it right there on the tip of your, yeah. And who was the starting center that year? I don't know. I think there was a dentist in our town that was a lineman for them, I think. What year, I don't know what year he played there. Now he's just a dentist now. And Jesus says, uh, what is a profit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? If you want to follow me, be willing to keep following when it's not easy. 
That's the take up your cross part. Be willing to die to yourself. I want to list some things. There's more than this, but this will just get you started. Cross-bearing means enduring hardship. Cross-bearing means dying to the old life of sin. Paul tells us to put off the old and put on the new. In Romans 6, he says, don't you know that you, when you were crucified, you died with Christ in order that you could experience new life in Christ? There's a dying that needs to happen in us. It's like a spiritual chemotherapy. But it's the Holy Spirit who leans in and says, okay, John, you've got this giant tumor in your soul. It's called selfishness and we're going to spend the next six months shrinking that yeah that doesn't sound fun but I want the selfishness to shrink so I love my wife better and so I can reflect his grace better Jesus knows what it will take for my selfishness to shrink. I don't. Am I willing to let him do that? Do I trust what he wants to do and how it's going to play out and how long it might take? Because I trust what's on the other side and I I trust what's going to happen even on the journey. Cross-bearing means I follow Jesus through that process. I let him kill my sin. Cross-bearing means dying to my need for acceptance and achievement. I died of that. Where I grew up was more an arts town than a sports town. Piano was my sport. There were competitions monthly of one kind or another around our state. I like to win. So I'll outpractice you if I can. But I learned after a while that that wasn't enough, that I needed to practice in the right way and I needed to get my technique better. And I saw there was one teacher who their students always won and no one else's did. And um, finally I got an opportunity to, to connect with that teacher. I wanted to study with that teacher and she basically interviewed me. John, tell me, um, you know, why do you want to play piano? Tell me what your practicing looks like now. Tell me where you're headed with this. And she said, okay, I'm willing to take you, but you need to understand, I can fix your technique, I can help you get accepted to a Northeastern Conservatory, I can help that happen, but if you come with me, you're going to have to do what I tell you to do. You're not going to enter any competitions for a year. I can tell you like to compete, you're not going to enter any for a year. And we're not even going to learn songs for six months, we're just going to do exercises and we're going to fix your technique. Are you willing to do that? Fifteen years old. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to step out of the thing that I want? To trust what she can do if I follow her direction? i got to die for my need for achievement in order to experience something that matters more. The same guy that was lamenting things that were happening um, 
you know, every church has different challenges, and I was trying to confront some things that were happening at our church that needed to get better and be different. And I was a rookie pastor, so I had more boldness than wisdom. Um, and this guy, Dennis Hampton, it, you know, he, he was one of my go-tos at the time. I'd debrief, hey, this is happening. Here's what I think I'm going to do because this has to get better. He mailed me a McDonald's application back when those things were on paper, right? I don't know if you can find a paper one now, but I have one. It's in my desk. I should frame it and put it up. It's like yellow paper, you know, with the, anyway. And he just said, John, if you keep, if you stay on this path the way you are, you're going to need this. That was all the no said. So I had to call Dennis when I saw it. And he, he actually, he meant it in a good way. What he was trying to say is, hey, sometimes you do the right thing and it doesn't work out. Sometimes you try and make a church better and they rebel and get mad at you. But sometimes you do it, you do it the wrong way and they got mad at you because you did it the wrong way. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of facets to the story. Jesus came to give us life and to show us the Father's glory and the majority said, we have no king but Caesar. They hated Caesar, but they hated Jesus more. And I said, kill him. He came to make things better. Kill him. Well, that was the plan. They just didn't know that. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, following me means embracing my mission and my way and my time. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes there's a price. Are you willing to do what I say? Cross-bearing. Last one. I normally set a timer, Joe. I didn't, so hopefully I'm okay. Last point. It's not as long. It just pulls it all together, I hope. What's it look like to follow Jesus? Fully embrace the cross, stiff arm yourself, accept the reality of suffering and sacrifice, and then he says, and follow me. And follow me. I have books on exercise. I have videos on exercise. You know, I have intelligence about exercise. You know, looking at me, this awesome physical specimen that I am, how many hours a day would you say I exercise? No, don't say that out loud. <laughs> don't hurt my feelings yet. But whatever you say, you know, it'd probably be right. Hours would be the wrong word to use. Jesus says, and follow me. Here's the last thing. If you want to follow Jesus, Jesus says you have to actually follow me. You have to actually follow me. Don't just show up in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount, buy the t-shirt, eat a fish sandwich, say, yeah, I was at that thing. Were you there? I was there. I, I heard his voice. I loved his passion when he said this. I love how he confronted that. I like this about Jesus. I like that about Jesus. He said, if you want to follow me, it isn't about what do you like about me. Is it, are you actually following me? This place where you know, Jesus in Luke 6 says, why do you call me Lord, 
and you don't do what I say. Why do you, why do you say you're a college student and you don't go to class? Why do you say you're a witness and you never talk about Jesus? Why do you say? And we, we want to read past those very quickly. We don't want to linger, but the cross-bearing denying means I need to linger here. I need to ask Jesus, where am I failing to follow you? What are you asking of me that I don't want to do? That I don't want to hear? I started wearing a hearing aid in one, one ear this year. I don't know if it helps or not, but my wife is convinced that it does. Why is she convinced? Because when I don't hear her, I don't know that I didn't hear her. But let's be honest, sometimes I can hear and pretend I didn't hear her. I don't want to confess that. Now I have a hearing aid. I'm supposed to hear her. So does the hearing aid? Anyway, that's a different question. <laughs> Julie's not here today. She's visiting our grandkids in Oklahoma. You would like Julie a lot. Following Jesus means actually letting him lead. But the reality is, Peter says this. He says, we're, we're so often, we're wandering like sheep, aren't we? We're just wandering. Oh, that's, I like that. Let me go look at that. What's over there? And when we're wandering, it's we're like a a kid at, at the carnival, and every vendor is inviting us to come over there and spend our ten bucks to throw something to win a fifty cent thing. And we lost sight of mom or dad or whoever we were with, and we turn around and realize, I don't know where I'm at now. And we lose sight of Jesus just that quickly too. Jesus, if you're going to follow me, tune out the carnival, tune out the noise, stop chasing the extra stuff, just follow me. What is Jesus asking? What is he saying? What is he calling for? Here's the honest truth we don't want to admit. You and I were as close to Jesus as we've chosen to be. He's invited us to follow. He's told us how. He's drawn us in. If you want, he won't make you. We have to decide. There's a beautiful verse. I'll leave you with this verse and we'll land the plane. Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are, you're tired, you're heavy laden, you're worn out. Come to me, I'll give you rest. I like that. Sunday afternoon is a good day for a nap. It's a good day for rest. I like that. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle. We like that too because we don't, we forgot what a yoke is. What does a yoke do? A yoke attaches two animals together. Why? So they can work. Say, wait a minute. You said rest, and then you said yoke, and someone in that age would say, those two things, that, that doesn't go together. 
I'm going to get dressed for work, and you're going to give me rest. I'm out. But what happens with a yoke? That means if I'm yoked to Jesus, that he sets the pace, and he sets the direction I have no choice but to follow. In fact, when I'm not following is when it becomes the most stressful. There's the most resistance because I'm yoked to him now through my faith in Christ. And he is trying desperately to take my life this direction. And I'm trying to sit down and take a nap somewhere else. Not in the green pastures where he makes me lie down, but somewhere else. So, we need to stop. I want to just leave you with uh, these questions. It's right out of the passage if you were to, to look at it. Are you following Jesus? Are you really? If not, do you want to? He's telling us how. Maybe you're here just because you're curious. And I want you to know when Jesus calls us to believe in him, he wants us to believe in who he is as God in flesh who came to pay the price for our sins and rise from the dead. That's why to follow Jesus, it starts by embracing the cross fully. The real Jesus. Who came because we had sin that we couldn't do anything about but he could. And so we trust what he did to set us free from sin so we could follow him. And as part of that, we learn to follow him means sometimes there's suffering and sometimes there's sacrifice, but Jesus, you're worth it. I'm still in. I'm still following. And then finally, to, to trust You know, I got to say no to me. Jesus, I want what you want for me. I'm going to trust that what you want for me is better than anything I could ever want for me. In fact, Psalms tells us when I, I delight in Jesus, he gives me the desires of my heart. He gives me what I want. I believe that happens because he changes what I want. I didn't want to come to Nebraska, and I came, and I'm so glad I did. I didn't want to leave Parkview, but God called me to something else, and I'm glad that I changed. Not because I don't love Parkview, but because I love Jesus more. Do you follow Jesus? I want to give you 30 seconds, maybe 45. I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, where am I resisting you? Where do you want me to follow next? I'm just going to be quiet so you can ask him that question. And it could be you already know. It could be the Holy Spirit will begin to tell you now. I want you to live with that question this week. I'll be quiet. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I ask that you will show us right now where we're resisting and where you want us to follow. Give us ears to hear you, Father.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your truth. Thank you for telling us the truth of what it means to follow you. And thank you for inviting us, for calling us to do just that. God, give us hearts that say yes to you and no to ourselves. Give us hearts that love you even when it's hard, when we have to let go of something in this world. Lord, help us to actually follow so that others can see the difference that you make. In Jesus' name, amen.